reflecting and I can't believe I'm saying 20 years, 20 years of moving to New York, starting my company, that I wasn't ready to write the autobiography. That's for when I'm 70, but that I felt like I could share a lot of my learnings and a lot of the learnings that I got through failing so hard. And if I could help anyone in business, thinking about going into business, just being an entrepreneur, if you never want to go out on your own to support, I thought that that would be a great thing to do. So obviously I didn't have that idea when the pandemic hit, it was prior to that, but that was kind of the impetus behind it. Rebecca Meenkopf is a fashion powerhouse and the epitome of downtown cool. You may be familiar with her popular crossbody bags or maybe even purchase the notorious morning after bag, but you may not be familiar with her personal journey over two decades as a designer. Rebecca transformed a reconstructed I Love New York t-shirt into a thriving business worth millions. In her recent book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success, Rebecca details the professional and personal lessons learned throughout her life and transforms them into a set of 21 rules that we can apply to our own. Rules like sign your own permission slip and don't ask for help, ask for what you need. But what I love most about Rebecca is her fearlessness to be authentic and real. I love her transparency as a working mom, my personal favorite. And she also finds every opportunity to uplift women through her nonprofit organization, the Female Founder Collective, and her hit podcast, Superwomen with Rebecca Minkoff. I had the pleasure of chatting with Rebecca one-on-one to discuss it all. I hope that you are inspired as much as I am. Check out our conversation. Rebecca, welcome to a fashion moment. (laughs) Thank you. How are you? You know, I'm deep in the throes of... (laughs) Fashion week and the drama that is occurring. We just lost our main talent yesterday. So yeah, it's been, it's been, um, it's been special. Uh, Correct. I mean, with the pandemic and everything that's happening, I'm like keeping my eye on that Delta variant, but I'm hoping that in-person shows and presentations will go on. So fingers crossed. they're, They're definitely going on. I'm like, please, please, please. So I'll be there. I'm super excited for New York Fashion Week. But I want to talk about this amazing book. When I tell you, like, I have a million, like, like little note cards and and little post-its. And I mean, there are just so many great gems in this book. Fearless. If you guys have not picked it up, pick it up now. It's amazing. It's a great book. Um, what inspired you to like write this book? Like, and why now? 
I really thought about the fact that as I was reflecting, and I can't believe I'm saying 20 years, 20 years of, of moving to New York, starting my company, wow. um, that I wasn't ready to write the autobiography. That's for when I'm 70, but that I felt <laughs> like I could share a lot of my learnings and a lot of the learnings that I got through failing so hard. Wow. Um, and if I could help anyone in business, thinking about going into business, just being an entrepreneur, if you'd ever want to go out on your own to support, I thought that that would be a great thing to do. So obviously I didn't, I didn't have that idea when the pandemic hit, it was prior to that, but, um, that was kind of the impetus behind it. Absolutely. Well, I enjoyed it. I loved it. I felt like I was sort of going through a journey of your life, but then you were pulling out like specific, uh, like lessons and, and then transform them into like rules, which I love. So let's start from the beginning, Rebecca. What was life like growing up in the Griswold family? <laughs> I love that you called the Griswolds. Um, my parents were excellent parents, but they were also very much about us learning to fend for ourselves. Hmm family was a no. Everything was, you had to earn it. Everything was like, how much does it cost? You can't do that. You have to buy it yourself. Um, and so as a kid, you obviously wish that your circumstances were different, but mm. I think for me, it forced me to be a hard worker. It forced me early on to begin to think like an entrepreneur. Um, and so as much as I didn't understand why the, why it was always no, I think in hindsight, it was the best thing that they could have done for all of us. Wow. Wow. Amazing. And do you recall your earliest fashion, uh, moment where you were just like, Oh my God, I want to work in this industry. Like this is, this is what I want to do. You know, I'd been sewing and pattern making and crafting like a maniac since <laughs> I was eight. Um, I think my first big moment and for Hanukkah, we got like one gift every year. And it was like, what's that one thing going to be? And I chose for several years to get a subscription to like W magazine and love it. Um, when they did a feature on Alexander McQueen. And again, this was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> I just was like, Oh my God, he is a magician. And I want to work in an industry that creates magic. Now what I do wow. is very different than couture and, and what he did, but it just inspired me that I wanted to, you know, be part of an industry that was making such incredible experiences for people. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And I, you know, I just want to delve in really quickly to your first role. I love it so much. Give yourself permission to stop asking for permission. And you say, when we ask someone else to validate our choice before we make it, it puts the responsibility on that person. I was like, ah, brilliant. Like I am so guilty of this. Like, how did you overcome this? I don't know that anyone will ever overcome it. I think we're hmm. taught from an early age, you know, to ask for permission for everything as a, as a young kid, I do it to my children all the time, yeah. but I think we take that into adulthood. We want our best friend to approve of our idea, or we want our boss to, and we get disillusioned a, if, it's not approved. And then we think maybe it isn't a good idea. And so I think my goal with that chapter is like, at the end of the day, you have yourself to look at in the mirror. 
no one else, Mm. you know, so do you want to live your life, you know, being buoyed along by other people's approval of you, or do you just want to go try something and, and see what happens? And obviously I'm not saying don't ever get an opinion, but probably get an opinion from someone knowledgeable in the area, someone who can help you, um, someone that has experience, I think is far better than turning around to the people that you love the most and saying, what do you think? Is it, should I do this? Should I take a risk? And they're like, yes or no. Like you should decide that on your own. Love that. And that, that actually touches on something else that you brought up in the book where you talk about some of your best ideas or ideas that people were completely against. A hundred percent. I mean, (laughs) If you, if you just take basically those examples alone, we should have never launched our store of the future, our wearables, our see now, buy now show, all these things that have catapulted the brand from a technology um, perspective and just um, where the consumer was headed perspective. Can Everyone said no. Everyone said no. And, and again, I'm dating myself, 2005, don't talk to your customer she's beneath you. She's below you. You should be better than her and and above her and it was out of her reach. If we had listened to that, you know, obviously everyone learned that lesson real fast, but at least thank God we were one of the first people to do that or start working with influencers. No one was, they were like D-list celebrities, you know, you were the only one. I remember like man repeller. I was like, Oh my God, like Rebecca, she's so cool. I thought you were just so like on it. And I remember (laughs) at the time, I was working at IMG, uh, doing Mercedes Benz fashion week, producing those shows. And I remember like being right next to our PR person and they're like, ah, the bloggers, ah, like it was just frowned upon, like, like nobody wanted to deal with them. But I love the fact that you were, you were like a, a first move. You had that first mover advantage and just jumped right in. Like what, what was the thought process behind that? Uh, of the blogger specifically or yeah. Yeah. Just like working with bloggers, like just taking that chance. Like, was it like, were you reading something and you're like, wow, I see a trend that's happening. Like what sort of prompted you to, to do that, to work with bloggers? I think that, you know, whether designers have an intuition, like yellow is going to be the color of the season. I think you were just beginning to feel and sense and see the sea change of people on, what is it like blogspot.com or, yep. <laughs> or blog loving, uh, and people were, and you could see this consumers were rallying around these people. And again, this was even before Instagram. Yeah. Um, wow. and so, and so I think that when you see people going, Oh, wow, I care more about what so-and-so is wearing than the next celebrity you begin to feel the power of that. And so I think we just thought like, okay, there there's, you know, it's like when you see a crowd outside of a place, you're like, Ooh, I got to join that party. So we were beginning to see crowds outside of outside, uh, you know, the windows of, of where these bloggers were showing their stuff and just felt like, okay, this is where she's headed. And, you know, we took a bet on it. We had, we had heads of department stores and editors and, you know, what are you doing? Why would you do this? This is beneath you. Like literally, we don't know if we can carry you or cover you as a brand if you're going to wow. do this. Wow. So it was, it was a bit crazy now that you think about it. Well, now people are shifting like towards the influencers. Like, so it's like bloggers and then the TikTokers and then the, the IG folks. And 
I, I remember reading, I think it was an article where you were talking about how, you know, the business, like obviously during the pandemic and COVID, like just completely wiped out quite a bit of retail business. And it was sort of your time. They were like, all right, Rebecca, you're the, you're the face of the company. You're the influencer. Like how has that, how has that transition been for you sort of being like the face and sort of opening up to your consumer? You know, it was an incredibly scary time. Yeah. When 70% of our business evaporated overnight and our normal methods of reaching consumers was suddenly shut off. Um, and it was sort of like my brother and I, who's my co-founder really taking a deep dive and saying, okay, what do we have to do? And it was like, well, I guess I'm chief content creator, chief marketer, chief, uh, (laughs) chief, you know, keep this shit hustling, hustling, chief hustler. That's (laughs) so it was really about always walking this fine line of making sure that I'm delighting her. I'm engaging her. I'm real with her. Mm. Um, it's not just about selling. It's about connecting. Um, Absolutely. And so I think that, you know, that's what my happy hours were for, was for connection and getting your mind off the news. And my podcasts were more at that time centered around helpful tips that people could use uh, in their businesses. And so I yeah. think that we kept selling to you as a company and and a woman who's a sales consultant really helped me get out of the, you know, there were a lot of people saying like, how, how dare people try and sell anything, not just me, how dare people try and sell anything when there's a pandemic going on and people are dying. And so you feel like this, should I be talking about bags? I don't know. Is that weird? And this, the salesperson or a sales coach made this really great point. I actually interviewed her for my podcast. Um, Laura Wright is her name. And she said, don't be un don't be apologetic. Don't be apologetic about what you're selling. She's like, the American economy runs on small businesses. If we start all shrinking back and not talking about our goods, what's left? And, and I think wow. the way she addressed that, you know, for me, it was like, I, I employ 25 people. They feed yep. their families. Screw you. If you're offended that I'm selling a bag, I got mouths to feed, you know? Absolutely. And so from there, I took on the viewpoint of like, we can, we can acknowledge what's happening, but we can also, and we can care, but we can also as a business have a right to survive and exist. And so I think that propelled, you know, how we went about navigating the pandemic and and staying alive. Wow. Amazing. And I just need to add a note. I love when you open up and like, I I love how you always keep it real. I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And so when I see you operating, I'm like, okay, Rebecca's getting through the day. I can too. So we appreciate that. And, and you, there was also, uh, I think you mentioned like how occasionally you would, uh, record things like in your bathroom, like for the podcast. And I was like, yes, I've done that too. (laughs) Well, here's what I was looking at, right? I was watching some designers be on their yacht. I was watching one designer, who was showing everyone from his penthouse how to make pumpkin bread. And that was not the experience that I was living. You know, I was dying, trying to keep a company together, homeschooling three kids with my husband and hiding up in a house that was never meant 
to be a place where people or six people live for wow. six months. And, and again, not complaining, I, you know, I know my experience is, is, is not, um, is better than a lot of people had it, but it was just like, no, I'm in, the, I'm literally in the bathroom. That's where my office is. Yes. My, the toilet is where my computer sits. <laughs> I, I, I smell my kids poop all day. <laughs> and I just felt like the least I can do is be real because yeah. I'm not in a penthouse making pumpkin bread or on my yacht. I'm a real woman who has real problems too, you know? Thank you for that, Rebecca. Thank you. Because I think like in the Instagram world and the TikTok world, we can all forget like, hello, like designers are people too. (laughs) So thank you for sharing. Um, Going back to your book though, I know this is like kind of a random question, but I really want to know. Um, the two favorite characters that I love, love, love are your Upper East Side roommates, Carol, who was 60, and her mother, Margie, who was 90. I want to know, did you make some tea and sit down with them and just be like, girls, like, give, like, tell me what, what's going on? What was 1950 like? Like, did you, did you get advice? Like, like, what lessons did you learn from these two? Like, I'm obsessed. I love it. Oh my gosh. So here's the unfortunate part. I think when you're that young, Mm -hmm. you don't have the intellectual, or at least I didn't, to be like, oh my God, there's a relic here. I want to find out what life is like. Yeah. So I wish, like now that I'm a mom and obviously like, I feel like I have a depth for human emotion and, and living that I probably didn't have at 21. Yeah. I wish Margie were still alive. Um, Carol is still alive. Hey, I'm Carol. scared for her. I'm scared for her to read the book because I'm sure she'll be like, "You demonized me." <laughs> I love um, her. We love you, Carol. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I all I was trying to do at the end of the day was sneak into my room or steal mm. some of their food, and I. <laughs> I know Carol well, and we talked, but we never, it never got, you know, to be this of what you're asking, which I regret. Well, Carol, if you're listening, we are all up for those stories. Waiting. (laughs) Now, now back to the book, um, you have a chapter called when you design your, like design your purpose, not your paycheck. What is that all about? I think that we are in an instant gratification society, um, not only with the idea that you can click everything you want and you get and you expect to get it. So you think your career should be the same. Hmm. Um, I'm sure you can give examples of how hard and long you worked. And I know where you worked and I know it's hard and long (laughs) and it doesn't happen overnight. (laughs) Um, And so... I also think that the marketing around celebrity money, of course, that makes things easier. Yeah. But it shouldn't be your purpose. You should, you know, what is your true purpose? Can it make you money? If you can't, you know, someone was like, well, should we just quit our jobs and go be, you know, (laughs) you know, not make any money to pursue our passion? And I'm like, I'm not telling people to do that. But if you hate what you do, you might want to you might want to look at if you could switch gears. And and will that happen overnight? Mm -hmm. No, it might take you years to make a new plan to go 
after your purpose. It might take you going from making $75,000 a year to 35 while you start over again. So I think it's like, if you want personal happiness, you should love what you do. You should love what you do so much. You know, when I started out, I was making, when I started the company, all I could afford to take as a salary was $23,000 a year. And I lived a very rich life. Nothing was free. So it's not like I had that on my side, but I was so excited about what I was doing that money didn't matter. And that's what you, you know, you only, you only have this one body, this lifetime to do this. So you might as well make it great. And it's not about the money or the thing. I love it. I love it so much. And you, you made the shirt. I love, I love how you call it the shirt that launched your career. The I love New I love New York shirt that you re like reconstructed into something really cool and popular. Like, how did that happen? And let's talk about the fire, like how you got fired. I I, I mean, I just find it so fascinating. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> well, how I got fired was I was working for a designer. Um, And the CEO knew my real passion and she just called me as she saw the shirt taking off and said, I either need you to be a hundred percent to me, or you got to go do a hundred percent you. And I know the answer. So you're fired. Go do it. And I was like, but wait, we can do both. We can work this out. She's like, no, no, you're going. Rebecca. So that was. Yeah. I mean, like, I was but, special. you know, for some people it's like, Hey, like I'm pursuing my passion, but I really need this job right here to like help fund either fund the passion or just, or help fund like your living situation, like keep a roof over your head. Like, do you have any advice for people who are sort of in that situation? I mean, what I would say is I think it's really important that if you do have your side gig and you don't have, you know, you're not going to raise money or you are going to bootstrap this, suck the life out of your job and that paycheck and do a good job at that company and then burn the midnight oil to really make sure that, you know, you have a little bit of air under your wings before you get off that. Because it, it, once you leave that job, you know, depending on the economy, it might not be so easy to get it back. Wow. Wow. Ah, crazy. But you wound up going into styling. I did. I had, again, an opportunity, which I think are always right in front of you. I was at dinner with um, the woman who made the t-shirt famous, uh, a director joined us and he was just asking me a ton of questions. And he said, you know, I might, I might have a gig for you if you're interested styling for a commercial. And when he was like, I pay $800 a day, my jaw dropped. That was like more money than I'd ever heard of. Yep. And <laughs> the shirt was not paying the bills if we're being honest. Yeah. Um, and so I went over and above to make sure I did an incredible job for him. And I, and I had enough experience and resources within the city to know what to do and where to rent costumes and how to dress people. And he was like, you did a great job. You're, you're my girl. And he hired me for basically all his gigs and he became the go-to Bravo guy. Like all all of the commercials for project runway, the first season, like, like, you know, top chef, 
so I was his girl. And so that helped me pay the bills as I, as I was building my company. I love it. And then the morning after bag, first of all, how, like, where'd you get the idea for the bag? And then why the name, which I love. (laughs) I wanted to design a bag that felt like a, a satchel, but at the time that, you know, all the it bags were so identifiable that in three months (laughs) you'd be like, Oh, she still has that bag. Yeah. Um, and I think that I wanted to create something that felt of the times, but had a, a classicness to it. And I didn't want it to be like, here's the plaque that I just paid five grand for. I really wanted it to be about the woman and her style. And so that was why the logo was tiny. It was on the back. Um, and then I was looking at a lot of brands and they, some were naming their bags after women or streets. Yeah. And for me, you know, I think as women, we go through so many different milestone moments hmm. and the, usually the bag is a big part of that. It's like a first purchase of something you're celebrating some milestone. And so to me, I was like, all I fantasize about is like living what's her name? Carrie's life in sex uh, in the city. Yeah. I want my, I want my morning after walk of shame yes. in my fabulous outfit. Yes. Like, I love it. <laughs> so that was where it came from. It was like, I was like, I can't wait to have my walk of shame. Oh my God. And that was what daily candy wrote about. They called oh, it daily candy. I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Memories. Memories. Yeah. Daily candy, man. That was like the best, the best uh, newsletter for quite some time. Um, so. Cynthia, Cynthia basically transforms your life and your business. Um, I love how you describe just like, you know, going in there and just having her like rip the bag to pieces, not literally, literally, but like figuratively, like, oh, this is how you can improve. And you made those improvements. How did she influence the rest of your career? You know, I think she, she forced excellence Hmm. and that's sometimes not always criticism that people want to hear or look at, Yeah, but she demanded it. And she demanded it because she was dealing with the best stores in the world who had very high expectations. And, you know, the homegrown handbag look doesn't fly very long. You can get away with it for a couple of years, but when you get into the big leagues, you need to look like a real brand. Yeah. Um, and so she just would call it like she saw it and listen, she, you know, I, I tell a couple tame stories of her in the book. (laughs) She, she, and she knows this. So if she's ever listening, you know, she could be horrifically cruel. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, probably, you know, straightforward, you know, throw throw an F bomb here. Right. Like, is that, is that, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. But, you know, even when I I did a collection one season that was all neutrals and she called me screaming, you know, what's (laughs) wrong with you? People want color. You're going to sink your business. How dare you just give me a collection of neutrals? And I was obsessed with it. I was like, it's all the shades of brown. Yes. And she was like, no, a woman needs one brown bag. Give her some color. (laughs) So. That's wild. I I love her, her character. Um, you also go into sort of like the buying, like the buyer vendor process and that relationship for people who are just starting out or are interested in, you know, 
having their, their products in stores, what advice would you give them in terms of building a, a buyer vendor relationship that works? And I just have to say, you know, as an assistant buyer back in the day at Bloomingdale's, I remember being in those showrooms and just like my buyer would just, you know, RTV consignment. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like these were, these are very tough for, for new designers. So like what advice would you give someone who's starting out? This is what I would say. I can't tell you how many people I meet that fantasize that like they will have made it if they get into a department store. Um, And what I want to caution and what Cynthia taught me is you need at least 500 specialty stores um, before you even have enough name recognition that if a woman is walking into a big department store and all around her, it says Chloe, Marc Jacobs, Louis Vuitton, Chanel, is she going to know to walk over to the little section where the plaque that they forgot to print is sitting with your little bag and go like, Oh yeah, that's who I was looking for. (laughs) Um, and so you need enough grassroots momentum for someone to even know where to go, know where to look for you. And I told, I told, I talk about this lesson in the book. I didn't listen to her the first time and it bit me bad because the store returned everything. Um, but I also think that, you know, we're in an age where you can go direct to consumer. You, you can start a website on Shopify. You can market to people on social media. And so I would caution people, like, you don't need to have it all, all at once. Mm. You know, build a solid, profitable business. Sell to the boutiques that you think represent your brand and can do it best. And when the department store comes calling, Great but have it be on your terms because they're going to play nice Mm -hmm. and they're going to love you and wine you and dine you for the first couple of years. Like I'm sure, you know, (laughs) and then it gets dirty. Then it's like, Oh, the seller wasn't that high. We have to charge, we have to charge you back or the catalog is 40 grand, but you need to be in it, but we're also going to make you pay. And then you do the math at the end of the day and you're like, I didn't make any money. Yeah. So I would just caution people. You, you think it's sexy, but you don't make money. I, you know, it's, it's a crazy, crazy business, Ah, direct to consumer guys. But I, I know we're like coming close to our time. I just want to ask, what is the female founder collective? Female founder collective is a network and community membership platform that not only connects women of same stage and size, but also access to potential capital and funding sources. And most importantly, education. Mm. I think when anyone starts their business with a passion, uh, they sometimes don't realize how much they actually need to know to run a business. And so we're all about getting access to these women, uh, of women that have done it, lived it, breathed it, um, to teach them. So it is available to anyone who owns 50% of their business as a woman. And we have all kinds of businesses and services, and we do digital programming weekly. We're talking about gearing up to go back to in-person events. So if you are in the need of a community, um, look no further. Love it. And I just have to ask like a personal question while reading your book. Does calm really work? Like the drink? Oh, so this is what I'll say. And this might be TMI. No, 
I'm a mom with two toddlers. Nothing like nothing is off limits. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Um, I want to say that on one hand, I don't know any different because I've been taking it for so many years. Wow. So, but I will say that it keeps me regular if you know what I mean. Yeah. And when I was pregnant and you know how irregular one can be, that thing was my savior. So I just take it, even if it does nothing for me, like physically, it keeps me regular and I'll take that. Oh my God. Okay. Well, I will be picking some up. I've been seeing like commercials for like over a year now. And I'm like, does this stuff really work? So thank you. (laughs) It's hard to know with some of these things. I think my mom, you know, I take a ton of vitamins and I'm like, how do I even know if any of this is working? And she's like, a lot of it's preventative. And then I look at her and my dad and they're like 73 and in the best health of their lives. And I'm like, all right, if, if it's preserving them, I'll take it down. Amazing. And just really quickly, I just have to touch on this. I loved, loved, loved your advice. Um, when you were talking about relationships and that boyfriend new year's Eve, you're like, never dial anyone on new year's Eve. (laughs) And like, right, right. No drunk dialing you guys. No drunk dialing, especially (laughs) if they tell you they love you after they broke your heart and stamped on it into a million pieces. And, And Rebecca, I mean, I'm just like, you're just so fabulous. You're so beautiful. Like, what did you learn from that particular relationship that helped you find your now like fabulous husband? Well, I actually, when I, when I flew out to meet, uh, said heartbreaker (laughs) and try and get back together with him, that is when I met my husband. And when I met my husband, I realized, oh, this guy, the, the previous gentleman could never be my forever dude because he lacks, I knew where he lacked and I thought I was okay with that. But when I found someone who didn't lack in the areas that I needed, I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's what a real partner is. Wow. Um, and then, and then, you know, this, or, you know, I'm, I guess I shouldn't assume anything, but I think that when you go to have kids and you are like, oh, if I would have stayed with this guy, he would have been the shittiest father and <laughs> yeah. how much would that have sucked? <laughs> and we probably would have gotten divorced because he would have been such a shitty father. So wow. Um, and I think, you know, I appreciate it more. It's crazy. I'm actually divorced, but he's a great father. So it works out. I, that, that was the one thing I knew. I was like, he will be a fantastic father. So like, that's one thing I'm like, okay, like we're cool. <laughs> yeah. But it helps important. a lot, man. When you got, when you have a good partner, whether you're married to them or not, you know, especially if you have kids. So yes, yes. One last, one last industry question. Yeah. I thought it was so interesting how it, it, it appeared that in the book, you felt like in a way you were initially sort of like this industry outsider, but I had always viewed you as being like cool, like hip, sort of like on the nose of what's going on. Like, how did you bridge the gap from feeling or, or, you know, feeling like you weren't, you weren't necessarily a part of the quote unquote fashion in crowd to being like one of the top names in the industry. How did you bridge that gap? I mean, I think if we go back in history and look at who was ruling, right, it was one editor in chief and her gaggle of geese. It was, 
you know, the top stores and whatever they deemed. So when I wasn't part of that crowd, it was that crowd, which still to some degree exists today, I think less powerful. Yeah. But back when I started, it had the power. And then I think as you saw social media emerge and platforms being democratized, you know, I think it became easier. And even today, there's still stuff where you see, you go, oh, oh, I see who they chose. Okay. Mm, I get it. Yeah. You know, there was just, um, yeah, this, the certain fashion council was council was chosen. And I was like, that's weird because, and I called out the person. I said, that's weird. Cause I supported you for the last couple of seasons by being a part of all this stuff and you just exclude me from it. Wow. So I think today it still happens. Yeah. Um, I care way less Yeah, because I know the game, right? The game is, is there, there has to be a velvet rope and the people on one side have to feel important. So just know that at the end of the day, it doesn't determine your success at all. Yes. Will you, you know, will you get a leg up from someone? Yes. Um, you are going to be the one who determines a majority of the wind in your sails. And at the end of the day, it's all about family. And those that love you, which you state in your book as well. I love yes. that. And, and, and I, I must, I, I must ask your podcast. Let's talk about your podcast. Like, what is it called? Where did the concept come from? I freaking love it. Like, yeah, I mean, I felt like I had the opportunity to meet so many amazing women and I thought that, you know, that's, I'm lucky, but how can I share that and amplify that? And and how could I also begin to make sure that as these women who most often are perceived as having it all together and perfect and never fail, um, how do we strip the gloss off of them Mm. and get them to tell, you know, some of their hardest times. And I think that makes everyone not feel better because someone else is down, but just like, oh, they're normal. This shit happens. Yeah. Just like you liked that I was taking calls from the toilet. Yep. So I think that my goal was to celebrate and highlight all of that. And um, it's called Super Women with Rebecca Minkoff. It's some women that you've never heard of, like the McBride sisters, who are the one of oh the my only God, I black love them. Yeah. You love, aren't they great? Oh my yeah. God. They're like, and their story is incredible. Like, not only do they have the largest black owned winery in the country, but like, they're sisters who didn't even know they were sisters, you know, yeah, um, it's wild. And then, and then you have, you know, other, other people that you have heard of, whether it's Jessica Alba or Katie Couric. And so I think my goal is to always have women you love and admire. No women you've never heard of, um, women that you would normally read their byline and be like, what do I, what am I going to learn from right? Her? <laughs> and then you're like, damn, I learned a lot from her, yes. you know? Yes. And I love your, your series on LinkedIn. You guys, if you are not following Rebecca on LinkedIn, please do because, because it is like, it's amazing. Like you're going to learn something like every single week. Um, I love your, you can't make this shit up series. Like where did that concept come from? It's brilliant. And I love reading it. Uh, it was really sort of off the cuff. I, I say daily, Oh my God, you can't make this shit up. (laughs) Like what happens? Like what the hell? And you think as an entrepreneur that it's going to get better or it's going to stop. Like you think that the hits are going to stop coming and then they keep coming. (laughs) 
And so I wanted to share that. And I knew from speaking with other founders, especially um, with, with meeting women from the female founder collective, I wanted to amplify their stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty fantastic. You guys. So check it out. Something that we ask all of our guests on a fashion moment is what is one of your favorite fashion moments of all time? It can be something professional, personal, or something that you witnessed, but a really magical time where you're just like, Ooh, I'm going to have to go with the McQueen show when she was wearing the dress with the oyster shells. Oh my God. Oh my God. I was just obsessed. And then, and then the other time when they, the inkjet sprayed her. Yes. She was, (laughs) I was like, what is happening? I love I loved it. it. I thought he was such a genius, uh, you know, and if you really, if, I don't know if anyone ever has the chance to watch the documentary, but if you go back, like he was a real innovator to, on technology that no one ever, no one ever talks about. I feel like, yeah, it's a great documentary. I, I mean, his story, his story, it's just so much in a weird way made sense, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, but that level of genius, like, whew. I know once in a lifetime, but it's true. (laughs) Rebecca, you are everything. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Obviously you are invited back anytime about anything. Just let us know. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And, uh, I hopefully I'll see you on the 10. I'm like, go get the book, go get the book. You guys fearless, get it everywhere. Yes, wherever books are sold. Yes, perfect. Thank you, Rebecca. Okay, bye. Thanks so much for joining me for this week of A Fashion Moment. If you like what you hear, we'd love for you to join our community of listeners and spread the word about the show. We also want to hear from you. Share your favorite fashion moments and dream guests with us by sending an audio clip or email to a fashion moment podcast at gmail.com. Or you can tag us on Instagram at a fashion moment and you could be featured on next week's episode. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and let us know what you think. Until then, see you next time for another fashion moment. Podcast production by Rebecca Rashid and John Taylor Williams. Digital media production by Megan Porras. This recording carries a Creative Commons 4.0 international license. Thanks to Patrick Patrickios for their song, Hot Coffee.